Hey, everybody. Welcome to No One Told Me, where we believe hindsight is everything. My name is Callie, and every week we want to gather together and talk about the moments that we wish someone would have given us just a little more insight, a little bit of a heads up on, right? Because surely someone else has lived this other than me. The goal is to make you feel a little less isolated, a little less like I'm the only one that has ever felt this. And here's what no one told me. I mean, this is for real. Like everyone painted the complete opposite picture of this. So the reality just smacked me right in the side of the head. Wrestling through a decision, a big life decision, does not always come with relief once the decision is made. Right? I always thought it was the opposite. Like, oh, you make the decision and you feel a thousand times better. But the right thing to do doesn't always feel like the good thing to do. Anyone else ever felt that? You know, like you have this decision to make and you struggle through it. And in my case, for almost two years, you're struggling through it. And the whole time you think, if I could just decide, I'll feel better. But really what's keeping you from deciding is deep in your gut, you know, the right decision will actually feel kind of terrible. So you slash I think to myself, well, if it feels this bad, then it can't be the right thing to do. Well, that's wrong. Let me just, if no one's told you that before, let me tell you right now that that's wrong. Okay. Because sometimes not all the time, but sometimes our perception of obedience isn't really that black and white. Sometimes obedience is just a big old gray blob that you have to navigate with what you do know in spite of all the unknowns. And let me just really lay it all out there. I mean, since we're here, I might as well. You know, God did not really design obedience to make us feel good. Okay, now we know it can only be good, but that's different from feeling good. Because his design for our lives isn't necessarily for happiness. It's for holiness. It's a cultivating of holiness that creates an unshakable endurance that when the happy leaves and all you're left with is obedience, you still know, okay, I'm taking the right step. It doesn't feel good, but I know it is good because I know who my God is, right? I know the character of who he is. So while this feels kind of awful, I'm going to do it anyway, because I know the value of obedience in the long run. And I'm here to tell you, okay, I'm just, I'm here to tell you, it's okay if this process is really annoying. I mean, I, I've been annoyed for two years, just, um, just to tell you the truth. Over the past year specifically, I've run like this full gamut of emotions that come along with the human experience. And I saw none of it coming, right? I was just, I just wanted to get to the decision. And I thought once I get to the decision, then everything's going to be fine. I was talking to a friend just the other day who's walking up the same hill that I've been walking up and she's just a little ways behind me. And I asked how the climb is going and she just kind of shook her head. It was one of those moments that you don't really have words for. Like you can't answer the question because the moment you're living in is just so different than what you expected it to be. But here's the part we often skip over. It's okay. In fact, it's good to grieve what you thought would be. Sometimes 
that grief surprises you because it can manifest in different ways, like loneliness and anger and frustration or over-the-top busyness so you don't have to actually feel it. After a hard decision, especially one that ends in letting go of what your personal blueprint for this time in your life was, delayed grief can just sneak its way in through the cracks. The cracks that were made by choosing what's best over what feels good. I was telling this friend that there's this weird delayed grief. You're so busy turning the ship of your life after whatever the big decision is that it's just a faint whisper at first, right? You're just, you're so distracted by executing on the decision. And then this dumb grief, it locates like a bullhorn and it just lets loose in your thoughts. It's kind of like when you move to a new house. We moved just across the street, mind you, a couple of years ago. And I was in the tornado of randomly throwing things in boxes without any rhyme or reason. And then getting those boxes to the new house, emptied and everything in the right places. I didn't think about the sadness of leaving the home that I brought my babies home to. The home that Ryan and I bought as our first big purchase together. I didn't think about any of that because I was in the motions of making it happen. And then that first night I sat on the bed and I was like, so, so we live here now? Like, am, how do we make it feel like our home? Because right now it doesn't feel like my home at all. It was delayed, a delayed reaction. That's what starting a new chapter can feel like. You're releasing what was or wasn't. You're restructuring, reorganizing your life in a big flurry of activity. And then bam, all of a sudden, you have to actually live this new life. And you really just don't know how to feel about it. A few episodes ago, we talked about doing what you know to do in the seasons you feel buried. And so that's what I did. Here we are a year into a new chapter. And I thought I'd share what I've learned Just simply doing what I know to do, even though I feel buried. First, and by first, I mean that these are in no particular order. They're just how I found them in my journal over the past year. So first, fear can paralyze you or propel you. But it makes us forget that we hold the choice. Call it worry or anxiety, uncertainty, but the root of all of it is fear. And mine was a fear of failure. And this fear would either propel me to work harder, to try more things, or it would paralyze me, leading to this inability to make a decision, to move forward on anything. But the failure itself could be divided into two categories, private failure and public failure. Private failure I could work with because no one really knew about it, right? So my bounce back rate was really high. But public failure, trying something that everyone knew I was trying and then it being less than I hoped, planned, or tried for, no thanks. I'm going to pass on that. It's why, honestly, posting publicly about like a diet or if heaven forbid I ever did 75 hard, y'all would never know. Because what if 75 hard is too hard, right? I don't want you to know it's too hard for me. I'm not going to tell you about that. So this risk of public failure can keep us from trying at all. What if it doesn't work out? What if I'm a big old dummy for even thinking that it would? What if? And like we've said before, what if is just a cleverly designed way of saying, God, you won't. What are your what ifs right now? What's keeping you living small because you're afraid of failing? 
What are you believing that God won't do? My seven-year-old Henley, she has struggled a lot with fear this year, right? She can relate. Her little mind just revolves around all the what-if scenarios and laying in her bed one night, she was listing them all out about the next day. And I told her, what if isn't real? When we say what if, we're buying into a reality that hasn't happened. And after saying 2 Timothy 1.7, God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control, we dwell on a truth together. If God didn't give it, we're not going to keep it. God did not give us fear. So we choose, and it is a choice, a daily choice for me, whether or not we keep it. Live full. That's what a life without fear offers. Okay, next up. We're not responsible for the fruit of obedience. We're just responsible for the obedience. You can't plan or bank on what the other side of obedience is going to look like. The moment you choose obedience because it'll lead to what you want instead of what God wants is the moment you're laying the groundwork for disappointment that I promise won't be in yourself. Your disappointment will be directed at God. The motive of your obedience matters. Why are you taking the next step? Why are you doing the hard but right thing? Is it because you're thinking transactionally? You're believing God's will is like a vending machine. And if you put in your obedience, he'll drop your wish list into your hands. We're obedient because we love him. John 14, 15. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. That's exactly what Jesus said. There's always fruit in our choice to continue following faithfully. The tricky part is when we start picking which fruit is meant for us, is when we stop wanting the fruit of the season we're in and want to skip ahead to a different one, which leads us to our next very hard lesson that I've learned. When you know his character, it's easier to trust that he cares. If disappointment leads to doubt, right? Like we just talked about, when we think the other side of obedience is going to look a certain way and then we are ticked when it doesn't, who are we ticked at? Who who are we trusting less? If disappointment leads to doubt, how do we battle doubt? Well, we take it back to the basics, people. Who is God and what did he say he would do? We approach scripture like a dating profile sometimes. Okay. I might need to like back that up and offer some clarity there. That's a little tricky. Okay, so every person I've ever tried to set up on a date wants to know the name of the person so they can what? Go into full stalker mode and find out that the person's seventh birthday party theme was Star Wars minus, you know, the baby Yoda. But we dig deep about the people we want to know more about, right? Now, we have full access to who God is and what he's been doing all this time. It's like his personal journey is scripture. He's written it all out there for us, sharing the stories that he's written and showing us how they all weave into the bigger story he's writing right now. So when you doubt he cares, do some of that deep stalking that you've practiced on all these other people. Maybe do it with him. Do it with scripture. Learn his character. See how he redeems and restores and rescues over and over. See his promises and actions so you can better identify them at play in your own life. Speaking of those moments of deep disappointment, up next, 
The moments that we run away from are the moments that transform us most. Hiding from the hard just makes you weak, makes me weak. Trying to push and pull away around the hard makes you really only frustrated. The chipping away and reshaping of who you are, also known as sanctification, that process within the hard is what equips you for living in a fallen world. It's resilience. The ability to keep going, to keep trying is a result of facing the hard. You are growing. You're being cultivated right now. Don't quit. Now, back in January, I started this like big old tug of war with peace this year. I wanted it. You know, like I researched it. I studied it in scripture, but I didn't know how to sustain it. It's like I could get it for a little while. And then all of a sudden I was like, wait a second, wait a second. I was, I was feeling pretty good. Uh, Not so much now. What happened? So here's just a few lessons that I've learned on peace. You may not feel peace right now, but it doesn't mean you can't have peace right now. The reality is Jesus bought our peace on the cross. We always have access to it. It's not elusive. It doesn't require a formula. It's waiting right there for us. And even more so, Jesus wants peace for us. The peace that he gives can't be taken. So how do we grab hold and maintain it? It's with this understanding. Peace isn't passive. Peace is a practice. It's not a, it's not a one-time accomplishment and then we have it forever. It's a practice. Just like we choose to release fear, we choose to embrace peace. We, like Philippians 4, 8 says, choose to dwell on thoughts that bring peace. Whatever is excellent, whatever is praiseworthy, those are the thoughts we grab onto. And that takes practice. As soon as something comes crashing into our little peace bubble, maybe it's a thought, a relationship, a task, a fear, we take part in the practice of claiming peace over it. We have to be self-aware enough to know when something is stealing our peace, the gift that Jesus left us through the Holy Spirit, that's what he left us is peace. He said right before he, he ascended to heaven, he told the disciples, peace, I leave you. Peace, I give you, not like the world gives. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And so we have to be self-aware enough to know when something is stealing our peace, this gift from Jesus, and then we have to remove it. We have to set a boundary, take the thought captive, reframe the task. To practice peace means you have practices in place for when your peace is shaken. So what are yours? Is there someone you can call? A verse that you can claim, a promise you remind yourself of, maybe a moment of gratitude. What is your peace practice? Because honestly, how you handle the future starts in the present. Hope in the future is rooted in peace in the present. They're they're tied together. So knowing there's good ahead means recognizing there's good right now, even if it doesn't feel like it. Okay, so this next one rocked me and I'm still learning it. I mean, I don't want to say it out loud because sometimes when I say it, I feel like y'all think I have it figured out and I don't. I mean, these are things that I have to come back to over and over again. Before God tells us anything he wants us to do, 
He first wants us to understand who we are. See, I've got it switched, right? I'm like, God, tell me what to do so I can understand who I am. Because I seem to think the more task that he gives me, then I'll understand better who I am. Because I tie every bit of myself up in the roles that I play, right? Wife, mom, employee, friend, sister, daughter. I'll put on whatever hat the situation requires and rearrange myself to be whoever the person in the situation needs. But then I wonder why I have such a hard time knowing even what I want to do or walking faithfully instead of forcefully. When I try to force my life into being all about what I'm doing, I got lost and I get lost in who I'm supposed to be becoming. It's that age-old battle. This isn't new, who I am versus what I do. And I'm pretty sure I'll spend the next 50 years continuing to fight it. But if I trust that my God is constantly shaping my heart to look just like he wants it to, then I also have to trust that he's going to use that heart that he's shaping to do just what he wants it to do. He knows my desires. He, he knows my deepest wants and needs. And he knows yours too, but... More than anything, he knows who you are in him. And he wants you to know that too. So I have to ask, and I'm asking myself just as much as I'm asking you, what story are you going to tell? What story are you telling right now? Let's start there. What story are you telling right now to yourself? What are the thoughts on a constant rotation in your head that are the narrative that you're buying into every day about who you are? And then next, let's step out and look at a broader picture. What story will you tell? Better yet, what story will your friends and family tell about you in 70 years? What do you want that story to sound like? Okay, we're almost done. Stick with me just a little while longer. This one here, I feel like I've said this about all of them. I'm a slow learner, okay? So they all take me a long time. But this one mainly because whatever you feel, I feel I am like take empathy and multiply it by a bajillion. And that's where I'm at. If you're ticked about something, oh, I'm ticked too. If you're the happiest you've ever been, me too. Let's eat cake and celebrate, right? Oh, oh, you're just really sad. Me too. Let's eat cake and get through it. I just, I empathize. And that's not necessarily a a bad thing, but I adopt the feelings. I don't just feel it for you. I'm feeling it with you. Like I am swallowed up by your feelings, but here's where it takes a turn. When someone's out of controlness controls you. Okay. Don't let someone else's out of controlness control you. Someone may be spiraling. Don't spiral too. Some of the most contagious feelings are the negative feelings. The goal is to respond instead of react. I've had one specific moment when someone came into my space pretty upset about an interaction we had had earlier in that day. And I hadn't noticed anything really wrong with the interaction, but this person had very much not liked how it played out. They were still clearly heated and they began to list their grievances that were honestly far bigger than what had happened between the two of us. And here's the thing. I've, I've got a little bit of a quick temper. Okay. Especially when faced with obvious anger my instinct is I'm going to be angry right back at you, right? Like if you're going to bring that to me, I'm going to give it back to you. And in this specific moment, I wanted to come back hot, but 
there was this clear, I mean, just the clearest moment when the Holy Spirit just very simply prompted one word in my mind. And it was just stop. Right when I was ready to unleash, I had to stop. I took a breath and said nothing. Them spiraling in anger didn't mean that I should spiral too. So since then, since that moment, it was, it was honestly like a turning point for me because I thought this is the work of the Holy Spirit. This is why we have it. This is one of the biggest reasons why is that discernment in moments that we don't know what to do. Okay, so I took a breath, said nothing. And since then, I continue to pray for that discernment. And I function off a piece of advice a friend of mine gave me about this time last year. She said, say less. Just two words, right? And not in like the fun word, fun way, like, oh, you're saying something I really love and want to be a part of, so say less about it because I'm already in. No, she literally was telling me, say less. And this is the best professional advice I've probably ever been given, but it also applies relationally. But first, let's talk professionally for just a second. When there are gaps in conversations during meetings, especially hard ones when you're trying to hold your ground, just say less. Think through your words beforehand, know what you want to communicate and stick to just that. You don't have to say more than what you plan to say. And a lot of times when we do, we back ourselves into corners that we can't get out of. So don't add to it. Don't take away from it. And if it's a meeting you didn't see coming, maybe you just got pulled in one morning and maybe you feel a little unsure in it. Say less. Ask more questions than you make statements. Listen, gather information. And if you have the opportunity, ask for some time to think about it before saying anything definitive. The goal of being in these rooms isn't always to make yourself heard, right? Sometimes it's to build up enough collateral, enough change in your pocket that later on, those that you want so badly to hear you actually want to listen. And then if you flip that into personal relationships, this just keeps me from being the solver of all problems. Say less. Leave space for them to unpack what they're really thinking or feeling before jumping in to tell them steps A through Z on how to walk through it. Just say less. Okay. That was a lot, right? I mean, we went from top to bottom in like 20 minutes. It was a lot. I even cut some out because I just got tired of hearing myself talk. And maybe this should have been two parts. But anywho... This has been a year I never saw coming, a year that I felt completely unequipped for. And yet looking back, I was equipped every step of the way. And that, friends, is the power of hindsight. It's a clear perspective of what, in the moment, felt nothing but hazy. It's when we share our stories and we equip those coming behind us. That is why your story matters so much. This exact moment in your life, someone else will live something like it after you. So mark down his faithfulness so you can share it. And I know that some days it feels like you know exactly what you need and you wonder why am I not getting it yet? But maybe, maybe you just don't need it yet. Psalm 23, one, the Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He's giving exactly, precisely what you need right now in this exact moment on this day. So maybe take some time over the next month as we end or we get close to the end of 2022. Just take some time and look back. Mark God's faithfulness to you. 
write it down, put it in your notes app, and then share it. Maybe just with your family or significant other, your friends, your community group, share his faithfulness because it helps and equips others to identify his faithfulness in their own lives. And hey, if if you're still here, if you made it through this whole thing of just me, <laughs> I hope you're better for listening. Even if it ended up being way longer than I ever intended, this is why, probably why, my fourth grade teacher always wrote talks too much on all my report cards, isn't it? I just, I can't help it sometimes, guys. But here's what I know. I hope you have the very best day. I'm cheering wildly for you, praying for you, and with you in it. And I'll see you next time.